Welcome to OsteoCast, where we talk all things osteopathy, functional anatomy, and movement. With your hosts, myself, Colby Brokel, Amanda Boysen, and Sarah Pucal. Welcome back to OsteoCast, guys. Uh, tuning in for another episode. Today we're going to give a quick review and chat about some of the history of osteopathy, uh, dating back to when it started and kind of how it's changed between Canada and the United States and the rest of the world, and really to focus in on what we do here in Canada and how we look at osteopathy in practice. I got uh, Sarah and Amanda with me again today. Say hello, guys. Hey, everyone. How's it going? No one answers you directly, Miss Sarah. <laughs> All right, so um, first, first thing we want to talk about is uh, basically when osteopathy began. So it was started by a fellow named Dr. Andrew Taylor Still. And osteopathy itself began uh, June 22nd, 1874. So it's been around for a long time. I know most people, especially in my practice, come in and they've never even heard of it. And they think it's a brand new science or a brand new form of treatment. But indeed, it's been kicking for uh, well over 100 years. Uh, Dr. Andrew Taylor Still himself, he was uh, a physician, and uh, he was born in 1828, so it's been quite a long time. It took him almost 50 years to discover osteopathy, what it was itself, and uh, there's a pretty interesting story around that, so I'm going to leave that to to one of the girls to say, and we'll all chime in and and share our our readings and our experience on it, but how how did Dr. Andrew Taylor Still find or found osteopathy? Well, he was looking for an alternative way, um, as he was a medical doctor, an MD, down in the States, and unfortunately lost his family and his children to meningitis, and kind of in that moment realized that medicine and uh, prescriptions couldn't always provide an answer um, and save everyone in life. So he started looking a little bit further. Um, One part of history, he that we're not too fond of, but he did have to do some digging in the graves to really study the anatomy, learn what the bones were, and figure out how the human body really did work, kind of coming right down to the nitty-gritty of the anatomy. And I think looking back at, at just what the time, like the time that people lived in then, they did everything, right? So they were farmers, they were hunters, they had to make, in, they were inventors, they had to figure out how to do things for themselves. So it wasn't about just reading something in a book, it was about going out and actually doing those things. So he tested different different ways and looked at, looked at things like a mechanic or made things like a mechanic. So he was able to take things, look at how they were put together, see how they worked, see how they moved. So that was also a part of his history that helped him kind of look at the body in a different way. Yeah, like you have to remember what medicine was like at that time. Like there was no internet or Google to search anything, obviously. And medicine at the time, when someone was sick, they were looking at, you know, giving them different forms of opium and whiskey and, and surgical interventions opposed to looking at structural interventions. And obviously medicine's come a long way since. Um, but at the time, exactly as Amanda said, like I remember reading too, he developed a, a new plow and different things like that. He was just a man who was trying to invent things to make life easier and more efficient and as Sarah had said, of course, he, he, his family had some struggles and he had quite a few people pass away on him from spinal meningitis when he was trying to treat them. And, and really, he couldn't do anything about it in the traditional medicine way then. So he started to look for other ways of treatment. And he, uh, 
did whatever he had to do to learn about the anatomy and about how the body worked and he, he started treating and I know we've heard many stories through readings and through our teachers and stuff of him treating people on the street and them getting better you know a couple days or a week or two weeks later from something like bloody flux or whatever it may be right yeah, yeah and two, he just he just did did what he needed to do with what he had right so there was really no other option the option at that time was well you do something or that person might not be there tomorrow so I think the time the time that osteopathy was created was really really important to think about um, because in today's day this wouldn't necessarily be the way we would have looked at problems yeah exactly if doctors still existed in today's age without osteopathy here it it probably never would start just because of the ease of life that we have now Mm -hmm. yeah definitely um it's just very cool to know that one of our founding principles um is something doctors still realized very early on he realized that anatomy physiology um were kind of the beginning and the end to how you can heal the body and how the body can self-regulate itself. Um, So it's very cool to hear that back in the days when he was trying to figure out what osteopathy was and how it worked. He actually, um, they called him the bone setter. So he was able to realign the joints and reset the anatomy to help improve health and uh, restore proper blood flow and circulation to those people that unfortunately, you know, had some disease or weren't doing so well at that time. The lightning bone setter. Yeah, the lightning uh, bone setter. One thing we didn't mention was uh, the three of us made a trip down uh, about six months ago, seven months ago now to uh, Kirksville, Missouri, which is where it started. We haven't talked about that. So it started in the, I guess, in the Midwest in the pioneering days when they were pushing across the United States. And that too... uh, points towards how, how life was then because it was challenging. It was muddy and gritty and everyone was just trying to survive and do their best to make a little bit of money. So at the same time as osteopathy started, the United States was developing and that was part of the process and everyone's mindset was always about improving and pushing and getting better and better. And you can still see some of that history when we went down to Kirksville. Like it's not a built-up city. There's two universities there, but the the main downtown is still like one two-story buildings with the courthouse in the middle and like a lot of that history is still is still there and you can still find it which was really a neat experience well, yeah and the town itself like there's a there's like a 20 foot tall statue at city hall of dr still and like every restaurant we went into had paintings of osteopathy or dr still or something on the wall like it's it's very heavily ingrained that dr still was the founder and that's where it all started, which is really cool to see because it's not like that everywhere. Right. And the university that we went to is called AT Still University. Like ATSU is like the place you want to study osteopathy in the States, like because all the history is there. And we were fortunate enough to be able to go into some of the old archives and read some of that stuff. Um, And one of the things that I thought was really neat um, and one of the reasons you can see that Dr. Still was ahead of his time is that he always wanted to allow anybody who is willing to learn to learn osteopathy. And one of the the dockets or one of the archives was a list of all the women who were osteopaths at that time. So thinking back to that time, like women stayed at home, took care of the kids. They still did other things as well, but educating women wasn't necessarily the high point at any of the major universities in the in the States at that time. No, very unheard of for women to be doctors, right? And to actually be there caring for people um, in such a high role. 
uh, versus nursing or, um, again, just at that, time it wasn't, at that time, it wasn't even popular for women to be in the working class, right? So it was, it was a yeah. big step forward and obviously a big step forward for osteopathy. But as it turns out, and we have the ability to see this in the future, is that, you know, a big step forward for the rest of the world and for how everything runs, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was osteopathy really started because it had to. It was out of necessity to, to help people make sure that, you know, people could stay alive and not die and succumb to different diseases and sicknesses and injuries themselves, like getting ran over by a horse or, or you know, falling off a roof or whatever that may be. But one thing that we should chat a little bit about is that we've mentioned a couple of times that uh, Andrew Still, Dr. Andrew Tosa was a doctor, and then we talked, we just mentioned that uh, in the States they're doctors. And in Canada and other parts of the world, we're not doctors. So I think we should mention a little bit how kind of that works. We can't speak totally to the American education because we obviously haven't gone through it. But we do know that at some point in time in history, uh, in the early 1900s, osteopathy was really pushing for regulation, legislation in the States to be on the same level as the medical doctors, the MDs. And they obviously were successful and they became DOs or doctors of osteopathic medicine. And in that process, they they developed and adhered to more of a medical style uh, of treatment. So the education exactly. there so, as far yeah, go ahead, Amanda. No, go ahead. The education, as far as I know, over there, they go through school just like medical doctors would, except they have one or two manual therapy courses or manual treatment courses built into it. And then at the end of their their four or five year medical education, they then can take a residency or a fellowship in the manual treatment. So in order to become a manual osteopath in the United States, it it could be you know four years of an undergrad plus four years medical school plus another year or two or three of residency, which is significantly different than it is here. Exactly, and in the states, they become what's called Colby already said this, but a doctor of osteopathy. And so in Canada, that's now a protected title. So as in Canada, we're osteopathic manual practitioners because we treat manually, um, but anybody who has a DO designation or a doctors of osteopathy is actually governed by the Board of Physicians and Surgeons in Canada. So we are not able to call ourselves osteopaths because we don't carry a medical designation or a medical license, um, which is why we're osteopathic manual practitioners because we solely treat manually and our education is, is not a medical license. Absolutely. So that's the, the big difference between the two is obviously you're going to have a more medical-based uh, form of career in the States and then more manual here. And to speak to that, do you want to elaborate on our education at all on what we do here? Sure. Yeah. So our education here, um, where we went, it was a four-year program. Um, there is another school that is a five-year program, and it's very hands-on. We spend... Uh, to graduate, you have to do a thousand hours um, of clinical hands-on practice. So for us, we were lucky enough to work in a student clinic um, throughout our four years of education. And then on top of that, we worked um, pretty much of half day, if not a full day of manual work in the labs at school. Um, so we did get a very good uh, anatomy physiology education, but our biggest education was really just hands-on, palpation, understanding how the body works, and really giving each other feedback on, you know, barrier and just learning how to use our hands and how to really feel between the tissues. 
I think the, right, yes. the main difference between <laughs> us and uh, us in the States is just the amount of hours that we spend doing manual therapy. I mean, mm-hmm. they're obviously a medical degree, but um, our, our hands-on training is what, what separates us and, and how we ultimately, how we treat the body. So we don't make medical diagnoses here. Uh, we treat, treat the body that walks in through the door. Um, and we, we test the structure and see how it moves and, and provide manual, manual treatment for that. So something to, that I'd like to add on with in terms of how the education works here is um, in, in Canada or specifically in Ontario right now, and this may have changed since my knowledge of it, but we don't have any like government-based regulation in terms of education and curricula. So what occurs is that you can have practitioners that have done a six-month uh, add-on course to, for like another form of treatment that they've been doing, or you can have full-time educations where you're looking at like the Canadian Academy of Osteopathy where you're doing four years or other schools where you're doing five years. And the difference is just, of course, the amount of time that you spend in the classroom and the amount of time you have hands-on. Like in class for us, I mean, there's only really a couple couple topics. When we were there, we did manual work or manual practice. We did theory. We did anatomy and physiology. And that was pretty much the extent of it. And half to two-thirds or two-thirds, three-quarters even of every day was spent on the tables hands-on, which is crazy compared to, to most educations that most of what we do is actually working on patients and developing our craft, right? So that that's really cool that we actually have that. And another really cool thing that the school has that we were able to do is the, the student clinic. And I don't know uh, if one of you guys want to touch on the student clinic and go over kind of how the student clinic runs, but it's, it's really neat that, you know, day in, day out, every, I don't know, student at the CAO gets to work on real patients. So the student clinic is a free public clinic in downtown Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton is just outside of Toronto in Ontario, Canada. And we work in shifts there. So we do about a six-hour shift uh, every time we go in. The clinic runs Monday to Friday. And we get to treat um, anyone that would like treatment for free. So it's a really great opportunity to treat a lot of people that uh, unfortunately otherwise probably wouldn't be able to afford treatment and to really learn um, on the job. And you have supervisors that watch you. You can ask questions as you go, but it really brings home your education and also how your bedside approach, how to approach the patient, how to work with them if they're in really acute pain, meaning um, you know they sprain their ankle or they have really sharp pain happening. How do you deal with somebody that's very upset from that versus a more chronic issue, meaning they've had back pain their entire life? And just the different approaches you take for that type of treatment. And again, that bedside approach, because um, you can be a really great osteopath and really great with your hands, manual osteopath, but you also need to have that bedside approach, meaning you need people to feel comfortable with you. Um, it is a public service, so we are serving the public. We are here to help you. I think one of the key things that um, warrants being pointed out again is that, that that clinic is is supervised. So there's graduates that are in the clinic there helping us as you go, um, where you can ask questions um, and and that's, that's how we get our supervised hours. But Colby was mentioning that we spend um, a lot of hours in school training as well. And I think the number that that um, the school aims for now is about 4,200 hours. So we spend 4,200 hours in class 
doing manual work throughout our education with another thousand hours that are supervised. So it really sets us sets us apart in how how much hands-on training we get throughout our throughout our education. Yeah, and the I mean it they make it progressive, right? So you start out at a beginner level just learning how to pick up a leg and move a leg and it progresses yeah. to providing full treatment. But to, to contrast this, we kind of chatted a little bit, and this is only from our experience from when we were in Kirksville, but they only have a few uh, hands-on courses or hands-on on classes there when they're there unless they go out of their way to do more and more, which is available to them. But, of course, uh, the mandatory or what's what's necessary to graduate doesn't include you know every single day, all day of hands-on work. So that's really the biggest difference between the two. And don't get me wrong, there are some extremely good practitioners in the States and they often come over here and run courses and seminars for us to, to learn from, which is very good as well. But the education is vastly different and we get this all the time. This is why we're covering this is people are like, well, what is osteopathy? I read online that there are doctors in the States or this and that. So this podcast really is to kind of share a little bit about what we know in this field for our, our clients and our patients and friends and family, whoever else wants to listen to us. <laughs> Yeah, and just to kind of let you know why we might correct you when you do say, you know, you are a doctor or um, just using that word just because the history behind it, we do want to make sure, you know, we stay in our line and um, we just let everyone know that we are osteopathic manual practitioners and, um, you know, you can just call us your mechanics, whatever you'd like to call us, uh, but we'll just stay away from the word doctor for now. Yeah. And this is by no way uh, inclusive of everything of the history of osteopathy and how it works. This is just a quick little discussion, hopefully, to give you guys a little bit of information about what we do and how things go. Please, if you have questions or we miss something, reach out, tell us, let us know. We, uh, we always want to learn more, or make sure we're doing as good of a job as we can. We're just getting started at this, so the only way to get better is, one, practice, and two, obviously, uh, some good constructive feedback. So don't be shy. Ask questions. Give us some feedback, please. As always, you can keep up to date with what we're doing on Instagram at osteocast underscore. Thanks, everyone. Hope you have a lovely day, and thanks for listening. The awkward pause of us just trying to figure out who has to talk next. Great. Yeah. All right, everyone, have a good one. (laughs) Thank you guys for tuning in again. And uh, don't be shy. Don't be scared to ask some questions. Talk to you later.